Pilots have seen things most people will only dream of. Your host, Jeff Lively, has had his fair share of time in the sky and has plenty of stories to tell. Here on Leaders of Aviation, we're speaking with others in the aviation industry to get their insight and inspiration. Together, we'll gain knowledge to pursue our goals. Life's a journey. Enjoy the flight. What is going on? Thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Leaders of Aviation podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, um, Mr. Greg Meek. And as uh, some of you may know him as Premier One Driver. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's great to be here, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, a real pleasure and it's a uh, real excitement to be on uh, early on on the front end of your uh, podcast career here. So uh, hopefully I'll help you grow it a little bit and won't help the, uh, the hopefully the, the, the channel doesn't dip after this. Yeah, right. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. So um, Greg, that, let's just, uh, let's hop right into it, sir. So t- take us to, to uh, the young man that you once were um, in terms of how you grew up um, and how uh, essentially you got started in, in sure. aviation. Yeah, so I, I've always had an interest in uh, in anything that uh, burns fossil fuels. So that's probably not uh, politically correct to state it today, but uh, you know, grew up uh, riding motorcycles and go-karts and then ultimately racing motocross and, and in high school, <clears throat> that's what my dad and I did. We, go out and race motocross on the weekends and I was big time into it and got injured so my parents were looking for a little bit of a, a safer hobby uh, for me to pursue and uh, my dad and I had always had an interest in aviation I think my dad had um, given a, a try at uh, flying lessons when he was uh, quite a bit younger and didn't have the, the ability to finish it off so um, we were sitting around the dinner table one day and my dad says, Oh, Hey, guess what I did today? I said, what's that? And he goes, I bought an airplane. So he went out and bought a Cessna 172 and, and, uh, we both started our flight training together, uh, worked on our private pilot's license and got that uh, pretty much, you know, in parallel with each other. And then, um, although I, he, at the time, I think I was 15. So, um, I don't think you can get your pilot's license until you were 17. So I waited till right after my 17th birthday and uh, took my check ride. I think I had like 150 hours, you know, I'd been flying for, you know, nearly two years and um, got the, uh, got the private and then uh, worked on the instrument uh, rating and then um, got that, got a multi-engine rating, commercial rating, ultimately a CFI, which I never really used, but in there went off to uh, college and then um, ultimately uh, got into the uh, to the military and flew for the military for uh, 10 years as well. So that's kind of a, that's the early days. I might've been jumping forward a little bit there. No, for sure. So with, you know, with, with your uh, uh, early flight training, you know, I, I assume you went part, uh, part 61 with, with everything. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, was that like just at your local airport or, what, you know, how did that look? Yeah, just local airport. We had a, a flight instructor that we hired out of the local school there and, and um, really became good friends with him and he became kind of a part of the family. And uh, we would go on trips and take him along and, um, you know, help fly the airplane when we didn't have our instrument rating and, and things like that. Went from the uh, Cessna 172 to a uh, Piper Seneca 2, which um, 
we thought was like the biggest upgrade in the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, one engine, two engines, that's, that's a big difference. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I remember I had a poster of like the, the front end view of the Piper Seneca. It was a Piper ad. And that was like on my wall. You know, it's just kind of funny to think back that uh, uh, that was that was what adorned my wall in those days. <laughs> I mean, that could have been kind of like a vision board, right? What? You yeah, were, you're absolutely wall. right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like anything. We all got to start somewhere. Right. So, you know, people watch my videos now of flying around the Beechcraft Premier and uh, occasionally get uh, emails of, you know, hey, how long will it take me before I can fly a jet? And it's like, hey, it's a long process. And we all start we all start at the same spot, which is what's kind of cool about it. Right. We all start in a Cessna 172, 152, whatever it may be, and build from there. Yeah, for sure. You, you mentioned you went to college. Where, where did you go to college and what was your major? Yeah, I went to Indiana University, got a management degree from there. Uh, once I got out of school, I worked in my dad's company. Uh, He's in the medical equipment field and I uh, worked for him for about a year and a half and um, had always wanted to uh, fly uh, fighters. You know, I, I, I joke that I apparently watched Top Gun a few too many times. I think I wore out the VHS tape. You guys your age don't even know what a VHS tape is, but uh, <laughs> I do. I promise I do. <laughs> okay, all right, good. <laughs> I, I, was, so, I was I was I was born in '94, so I'm I'm I was on the tail end of the VHS. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, you know, watched uh, Top Gun a few too many times and decided that uh, you know that was something that I wanted to uh, pursue. And uh, I had a neighbor who. Uh, was in the Air National Guard and actually flew uh, F-4s at the time. And uh, he started talking up the, the Guard and some of the benefits of it. So um, I started, we, at that time I was in Indianapolis and we had two actually Guard units in Indiana. We had one in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one in Terre Haute, Indiana. And I uh, started actively, um, you know, lobbying them for uh, one of their two pilot slots that they would generally get every year. And they would typically take uh, guys that are already in the unit. So they would take enlisted people that, um, you know, have a track record with them. So I was uh, the runner up for one of the slots at Terre Haute. And then finally at Fort Wayne, uh, got selected, went off to pilot training with the military in, in uh, 1990. And uh, went to Del Rio, Texas, Laughlin Air Force Base, where I did my undergraduate pilot training. So you're familiar with uh, those areas. Yeah, uh, close to my neck of the woods, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you know, it looks a lot like Waco. To okay. be honest with you, it's you know, it's it's that same kind of landscape. But you know, just a, just a great year of my life. You know, starting out in the T thirty seven and then the T thirty eight, which you know, T thirty eight is a heck of an airplane. It's a, a really a high performance airplane, and um, you know, it you can. Um, it's just amazing that with you know basically 80 or 90 hours in a t-37 they transition you into a t-38 uh, the pace at which the military um trains the guys and and the, and the people and and uh takes them through the system is pretty amazing i mean a, i mean a year from when i started or a year and a half later i was flying the f-16 by myself you know it's just wow. crazy uh to, to think that i mean it's uh t-38 is a really cool airplane for sure. Do, do you know what the current primary aircraft is now for, for their? So, well, they, I think that they've kind of um, 
broken UPT into what we call it UPT undergraduate pilot training into two different tracks. So when I went through, everybody went T37, T38. Now um, you go, well, they've got the T6 now, that single engine turboprop airplane, which actually is a pretty cool airplane. And then if you're going to go to uh, tankers or transport aircraft, you go to the um, T1, which is like a beach jet 400. Um, or that the fighter guys will go to T-38s. Um, I understand that there's actually a bunch of, um, they're, they're upgrading the syllabus now to incorporate, incorporate a lot more uh, flight sim and virtual reality kind of stuff into the whole program as well, which makes sense. Right. Uh, those budget cuts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cheap to run a computer versus uh, eating jet fuel and uh into airplanes right so what, what let's back up just a little bit too with yeah. where you're going through college were you also still doing flight training did rotc ever you know come across no i never did rotc I, I did a fair amount of uh flying as at that time we had that piper syndicate too and uh, my dad and i would and our family we would take trips in it so I, I flew that with um some regularity of course i was in college so it was a little bit more difficult to to do all that but uh, i continued to um stay active in aviation and and uh to the extent that i could and every time i was home for summer break or whatever the case may be we would i i would fly a fair amount of that got my got my cfi and, and really just it was just kind of a combination of bad timing got my cfi and then um you know was back in school and just didn't really have time to to do much with on the training side of the fence with the cfi and um so that's kind of what happened there cool okay great so after college now you were uh at vetting that unit and whatnot getting a yeah i've heard different processes you know so i guess you know how did that look did you go to the unit did you have to meet with them on a consistent basis you know how, how did that vetting process look like yeah i mean it was kind of like rushing a fraternity i mean it's uh you had to kind of get in front of them you had to get to know the guys there and um just uh, develop a level of confidence with them that you were going to be able to make it through the the whole system that you were committed to it because you know they have you imagine they have hundreds of people applying for you know two slots essentially and they're more than likely going to take one guy from within which is what happened with my slots so i had uh, when i went through there was um a guy who was already in the unit and uh, he got selected and then i got i was an outside guy and i got selected so um we went through it together but um yeah it's it's a tough process it is one that is uh highly highly sought after and um it's not not an easy thing to get so i feel real fortunate that it worked out that way i mean yeah that's that's incredible you obviously i mean and, and your work ethic, you know, what, what do you think played into, into them choosing you over, over other applicants? Uh, probably tenacity, right? I mean, not just tenacity, but you know, you gotta, they don't want anybody that's going to be kind of, uh, um, a, a social misfit either. So it's got, it's like a fine, fine balance, right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you want to show them that you, that you're, that you you got the the aggressiveness to uh, and the desire to pursue it, but at the same time you're not going to be a pain in their in their rear uh, throughout that whole process as well. So, um, yeah, it's um, you know looking back, it's just uh, just an incredibly great memory of the whole experience. The military was a great a great thing for me personally, 
I just learned so much throughout that whole uh, process. And uh, coming out of college where you're, you know, not maybe as disciplined as you might want to be, uh, going into the military is just a really a, a great experience. Absolutely. So you mentioned you were, uh, you spent 10 years? Yeah, 10 years flying for the guard out of Fort Wayne, Indiana. So the way that works is that you still have all the same um, flight requirements as the active duty Air Force has. But when you're not flying, you don't need to be there. So um, I uh, pursued some other business ventures during that time. I uh, was uh, a medical sales guy selling some uh, medical products and then started a home building business, built houses for um, probably eight or so years. And then finally, in, in 2000, when my kids were starting to get a little bit older at that time. They were six and four. And the the uh, the demands on my time with the business and the kids and, and flying were just uh, too much. So in, in 2000, I ended up getting out of the uh, the guard. So flew 10 hour, or 10 years and uh, a little bit over a thousand hours in the F-16 and loved every minute of it. That's awesome. So what, what was one of your favorite missions that you can uh, remember well um so we did uh so unfortunately i was um, not able to go to any of the gulf wars because the first gulf war we our unit was transitioning from f-4s to f-16s so they put you on a hold so you can get all your pilots through and then i got out right before the second gulf war so didn't get to do any of the uh the gulf war stuff which um of course has the added advantage of not having to spend extended period of time over there quite frankly yeah. um but uh, we did some drug interdiction stuff out of uh, Panama, which was um, pretty cool, pretty fun stuff to do. And uh, went to Egypt, flew to Egypt, which is pretty interesting. And uh, spent, uh, I don't know, about three weeks in Egypt flying with the, uh, the Egyptian Air Force. That was pretty neat. But as far as, you know, what, what did I like to do with the F-16? For me, dropping bombs and shooting missiles were the best thing ever. I mean, it's like, fireworks for grown-ups you yeah. know it's uh the ability to shoot a uh, maverick missile or you know throw a 2000 pound bomb is just absolutely something that gets the heart pumping big time sure so while, while you're flying i've obviously you know we don't necessarily have a visual but you know when you're whether it's shooting a missile or dropping a bomb you know do you get to see uh that the ammunition all the way through to hitting its target or do you kind of pull the trigger and then you have you, you know obviously um it depends it depends a little bit on uh what you're doing but um if you're just going to kind of go in and drop something from high altitude you can actually kind of watch it go all the way down to the ground and hit um it's amazing when you release a bomb if you roll up on your side and just look the bomb will be right below you and you can just follow it right down to the ground. Um, if you're low altitude, you can't, that's not advisable, right? Because first of all, you're, you're low altitude, but also you don't wanna, you don't wanna be 500 feet above a bomb going off. It's gonna throw stuff a mile high into the air. Right. So, um, but with regard to um, things like the Maverick missile, yeah, you can watch the Maverick missile um, go all the way to its target, which is a pretty cool thing and um that was probably yeah that's probably my favorite well that and, and cluster bombs those are probably my two favorite things to to drop off the airplane what, what was that range on that maverick um so 
probably a little bit further than you could actually effectively use it in an F-16. The tough thing about the F-16 is that it's a really fast airplane and to be able to do something uh, like shoot the Maverick missile, uh, you know, you got to acquire the target. A lot of times the target might be a, a vehicle. Um, so you're, you're, you know, six, eight miles out from this thing trying to uh, optically target this, um, this vehicle and the airplane's moving at 480 knots. So, I mean, airplane's moving really fast. So really hard to do single pilot takes quite a bit of um, quite a bit of work. And, um, you know, those are uh, six, you know, six miles, eight miles at 480 knots doesn't take very long. Yeah, you, know, you, you don't have a ton of time to acquire a target. So you're looking at about from the time you roll in to the time you pull off and, and need to have shot, you know, you might have 15 seconds to, to go through all that. So everything's on the hands and throttles. Everything's done through the, the through the stick and the throttle. You don't need to take your hand off of anything to press any buttons or anything. So there's a lot of a lot of switchology and, and um, a lot of uh, things that happen in that short amount of time. Very cool. Awesome. So during those 10 years, too. So uh, th this podcast is also about small businesses, right? Not that sure. they were small. Your what you were doing was a small yeah. business. But, uh, you know, what kind of got you started in, in that in the business environment? Um, I was always relatively entrepreneurial, kind of always wanted to do something on my own. I will tell you that when I first got into the military, I thought I wanted to be an airline pilot. And I quickly realized that I didn't want my pay to be rewarded based purely upon a chart that was the number of years and your your rank or your your position. So, um, you know, it became pretty apparent to me that I was going to have to do something that was more entrepreneurial in nature, uh, more rewarded me for um, you know, taking risk and, and things like that. So uh, that was what drove not just the money piece of it, but just the whole the whole environment of, um, you know, just being so rigid on how things work. So I, I really like the entrepreneurial side of things. I had, I think, lots of ideas on what I wanted to do. And, and uh, first uh, step off was was building houses, which I did for about eight years. And um, did that until about 2001. Okay, great. So what was, you know, what, what did that look like for you starting your own business? You know, what were some of the struggles and some of the things that you had to, I mean, you had to balance, right? Being a professional um, military aviator and then sure. starting a business as well, you know, and having your family. So, you know, how, yeah. how, how did that look? Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely a balance. It's a struggle. Um, a lot of these things can consume you. And uh, the thing about uh, when you when you factor aviation into it, you know, aviation is not really something you can do halfway, right? So you can't really show up with your head half in the game. <laughs> so, you know, when you show up to fly, you really want to make sure you're ready to fly and you're still not thinking about business or, you know, other things going on in your life. Um, and that was one of the things I think that the military taught us was that, you know, really to just be able to focus and concentrate and put everything else aside and um, accomplish the task at hand, which was the most important thing at that point. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's all a learning process, right? So we're all, you're just trying to figure it out. You're trying to grow a business. You're, you're working hard. You don't, you know, you try to find something that works. You try to adjust and things that don't work, you don't do those again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, you know, w- with, within those first couple of years of, of operating your business, you know, I know a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, including my, you know, including myself, um, I think one of the main struggles that, uh, has been persistent is just you know having that that cash flow right and understanding mm-hmm. where to invest it where to put it and then what to keep not for yourself but just for the business and just for you know that cushion um you know what what was one of those early on uh things that you you had to overcome yeah well i mean cash flow is is right i mean that's that's the thing that keeps all of us up at night so <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, pretty important to uh, to focus on those aspects of things. And, uh, you know, when I started out my home building business, uh, which, as I said, I finally got out of in 2001. But, um, you know, really, I, I, God, it just takes a lot of money to, to run that machine and the margins aren't that good. So uh, there was always this, you know, we're going to make payroll. You know, these things are we're going to have to put off paying some bills and, and all those normal stresses that any entrepreneur goes through. But, um, you know, I've got a, a funny story. A friend of mine, he took over his uh, family's uh, automobile dealership and he took it over relatively young. And uh, he, he, he will freely admit that he was not prepared for that transition. And it was just, he couldn't sleep at night. He was sick to his stomach. He was just something that was just absolutely consumed him. And he just was so nervous about it. He went to one of the uh, National Automobile Dealership Association meetings and they had this young president's meeting and he's sitting next to this guy and he starts to confide with this guy the story that I just told you. He says, I took this business, my dad's business over. I'm so stressed, can't sleep. I can't, and the guy says, oh yeah. He says, I had all those exact same problems. My buddy thinks, oh man, this is great. This guy is gonna tell me the answer. And so my buddy says, he goes, yeah, so what'd you do? And the guy says, oh, I got used to it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I think that's what happens, right? So, uh, you know, you, you, you live in this high stress environment and it's just, you know, you're always just every day just out there trying to trying to make ends meet, and at some point there is a little bit where you just get used to it, right? And uh, you learn to to deal with it and move on, and uh, you know it's part of the whole growth process. I think of uh, becoming an entrepreneur and and uh, hopefully you know ultimately building a successful business. Absolutely, like I can concur with everything you said. I've, I'm I'm brand new to entrepreneurship. I'm I'm within yeah. this May will be my second year in and. Um, I've, you know, learning how to deal with everything you just described is, I mean, you know, I mean, right now there's a couple of things going on and it's just something that you just have to deal like accept it and keep, keep, keep going forward. Cause if you don't, right. it will, it will eat you up. So, yeah. Uh, and, and so, uh, 2001, did you sell your yep. business? Did you give it, not give it, but you know, obviously I'm, I sure. you sold your business. <laughs> Yeah, so 2001, kind of, you know, the market fell out of the housing market, you know, just kind of times went really rough. And um, it was time for me to make a pivot. I had kind of 
um, gotten to the point where my, my patients had worn thin with, <laughs> with customers <laughs> and, you know, it's a very difficult process. Uh, and you spend a, you know, you spend a year building a house with somebody, you spend a lot of time with somebody and you don't necessarily get to pick, um, who your customers are. And, uh, it can be a very difficult process. So I was looking for something else to do. Uh, as I told you, when I got out of college, initially, I worked in my dad's business for about a year and a half. Um, there was an opportunity to come back to work for him in 2001, uh, which I took. So um, he's uh, at that time and still is in the medical equipment business. So we have uh, mobile cardiac catheterization labs and CT scanners and PET CT scanners, and pharmacies. In a mobile or a modular environment, we rent those out to hospitals or clinics when they're expanding, when they're growing, when they're renovating um, for a whole variety of purposes. So uh, rent those out so they can continue to provide service to their customers during all that time. So came back into that business in 2001, kind of in a um, operations type role. And uh, we, were, we were still a very small business uh, at that time. And uh, kind of just really started to, to, you know, make some changes and advance the company from, um, you know, from a, a thermal paper fax to, uh, you know, a, a server with everybody having their own email, right? So <laughs> <laughs> nothing really revolutionary, um, but it's a really good business and um, it's a really sound business model. So. Um, we were able to just kind of capitalize on some of that and um, take some steps to grow the business responsibly. And um, that's what we did. Cool. So did it start in Indiana and then slowly? Yeah, it started in Indiana and uh, slowly, you know, branched out and we're all across the U S now. So um, my dad basically got out of business and um, I, I would say around 2012, um, and, uh, just really took more of an advisory role. And then I bought him out, uh, at the end of 2019, um, I became the sole owner of the company and we're probably, uh, in that time, we probably are, I would say, um, probably eight times bigger than we were, uh, when I started with him in 2001. So we grew it relatively substantially, uh, over that time. And uh, it was a fun, fun process. Yeah, sure. <laughs> with all the stresses, right, that come along with growing that business as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I was never one that coming out of the home building business, I was never one that, that um, you know, to me, it was a renewed focus on um, providing a really good product for the customer that we could provide, that we could charge a fair price for and thus make a fair profit. So, you know, we, we, I believe we've accomplished, accomplished those things. And then I think the biggest thing for entrepreneurs is if you believe in yourself, then you got to reinvest in yourself. I, I tell you, the more successful you are, the more harebrained schemes you get thrown in front of you for investing in things and, and people's ideas. And there is nothing better to me than reinvesting in myself. I mean, I know where the money's going to go. I trust who's going to, you know, who's going to hold the money. I understand the business. So um, we've spent the last 
you know, 18, 20 years just doing that, uh, just reinvesting in the business and continuing to grow it and in a, just in a responsible way. Yeah, no, for sure. I- hundred percent. I think that's something that within my first two years here to reinvesting back to myself, you know, I'm, I'm a part of an entrepreneur group out of the Texas area and uh, reading all the time. Um, Sure. You know, just those small things is what will eventually add up to one day to where I can eventually own my own premiere. Right. Right. There you go. (laughs) Absolutely. I I hope you can make it, you know, it's, uh, it would be awesome. So, you know, it, it is, um, everything stems from making a profit, right? You do, people tend to make things a little more difficult than they need to be. At the end of the day, you got to make a profit. I mean, that's where everything comes from. So particularly when you get to the point where you've got, you know, a bigger company where you've got a bunch of employees, you know, you think about it, you, you have a responsibility to all those employees to make a profit so that they can stay there and so that they can feed their families. That's the only way that, that business works. You got to make a profit. So, um, you know, that's kind of the, the uh, sometimes it gets a little bit difficult and people start talking about branding and all these, I, I mean, great stuff, great stuff, but you got to make a profit. Uh, yep, you got to have, you got to have that profit to even cons- talk about branding, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the other thing I think too, you know, looking back that, um, was helpful with regard to the, the military and, and, you know, the, the mission, so to speak, is that um, it's, it's easy to get sucked into uh, spending time on things that aren't productive. So I can tell you that probably over the last 10 years, I may have gone out to lunch for a, you know, lunch meeting maybe four times over the last 10 years. I just don't do it. It's just not productive. It's not productive time for me. You know, I, to me, it is all about how can I make the company better? Um, you know, what, can, what, what new market can we go into? What other avenues can we pursue? Um, and going out and, you know, just you got to be careful where you spend your time because you can waste an awful lot of time that would be much better spent growing your business. For sure. I, I recently, I just interviewed a gentleman. He uh, did some time in the airborne and he's a corporate pilot. And so he, he has that military background too. I also do. I don't know if you know that I'm, I'm a, I've been in for seven years as an Apache helicopter mechanic. And oh, awesome. Um, so I'm getting out this year though. But um, <clears throat> with that said, I know that there's been a just direct correlation with multiple people I've met, whether it's been in aviation or in business that um, the military has been, vital to the success of, you know, what you were saying earlier, discipline, um, you know, showing yeah. up on time is such yeah. a simple, simple yeah. thing. And it's if you're not five minutes time. early, you're late, right? Exactly. If, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late and late is unacceptable. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So, right. Um, with, with those things and with discipline being, you know, what, what does a typical day look like for you, you know, from, from when you wake up to when you, you, you go to bed? Well, it's, uh, it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, I, as, as terrible as this may sound, I go to bed thinking about my business and I wake up thinking about my business. I mean, it's really what I think about. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what defines me. 
um, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a family man. I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I have great friends. You know, I have a lot of other outside interest. But to me, I am always, always thinking about business um, and, you know, how I might improve things. So for me, I'm typically up by uh, 5.30 a.m., go get my coffee, uh, and then I try to work into about an hour's worth of emails and things while it's, you know, nice and quiet. Uh, and then I'll transition to the, uh, to the office and um, spend about three hours at the office kind of just circulating among uh, the people and, and uh, just checking in with everybody and seeing what's going on. Um, and then, uh, a few hours in just actually just in my office going through things and, and, um, you know, finishing up the day doing that. So that's kind of a, a typical day, uh, for me, I, I tell you, we have recently though, I, I have, um, so our business is based in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. Indiana. And, um, so I'm in Naples, Florida right now. I don't know. You can't really tell by. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I really spend most of my winter down here in Naples and then I'll commute back and forth in the plane, uh, a little bit here and there as I need to, but you know, today's day and age with, um, you know, zoom and, you know, all the other forms of communication, um, it's really not something that I feel like I'd need to be in the office present all that often. And I've got a great team there too. And that's the other thing is that if you can surround yourself with a great team of performers, man, it makes everything that much easier and that much better for you. And it's, it is a, um, it is a trial and error process. And we have, we, we, we say that when we identify somebody who's, probably not going to be a performer we make steps quickly to eliminate that person as harsh as that may sound the reality of it is is that it's much it's much better for everybody including that person when when somebody's in a job that they they're not performing at they're not doing themselves any favors right so it's it would be better just to get rid of them so they can go find something else that they're going to be better suited for and then we can find somebody that's better suited for that spot for us. So um, it's been, uh, it, those are tough decisions to make, right? It's, it's tough to talk about somebody's future and that kind of harshness, but it goes back to the responsibility that you have to everyone that works for you, right? So um, when you have an underperformer that uh, you can't, you know, you can't make the correction with, uh, you're better off just to get rid of that person and move on. For sure, and I talking about too with with your uh, with your daily activities, like what while you're in the office, you know, I think a lot of people think of uh, you know CEOs or owners as someone that you know kicks back and they're you know not doing anything. When that's just the they just they don't know and understand. That's the exact opposite of what you do. You are in there with your team, you know, literally in the trenches, right? Well, I think the thing about it is, is that, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, um, I, we haven't really gotten to it that much yet, but you mentioned Premier One Driver in the YouTube channel. So I'll occasionally get comments that, um, oh, you know, so flying an airplane, all you got to do is press a couple buttons. And it's like, hey, I'm glad I made it look that easy, right? That's like a compliment. 
right? I know you're trying to make it a dig, but it's actually a compliment. Um, so I, you know, I think that the same thing happens at, you know, the, the owner of a company level, people have this idea that, oh, he's in there just kicking back, you know, he's got his feet kicked up and, uh, he's watching TV or the case may be, and that's not the case at all. It is, um, it, you know, relates back to that story. I told you about my, my friend with the, the car dealership. It's, um, there are moments of, um, time where it's like, man, I would, I'd almost give this thing away just to be done with some of the, some of the stuff you got to deal with. Um, but you know, as you continue on with life, you know, these are things that you get used to and, um, you know, you can't take things personally and, and, um, you know, it's all part of, uh, you know, part of the entrepreneurship, um, growth and part of a business. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to have problems running a business. So that's just, it's inevitable that it comes and with it and you just got to deal with it. That means that there's opportunity and that you're alive, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yes. Well said. So, uh, premier one driver, business aviation, yeah. where, where does this mesh? Where did along the journey, uh, you know, in terms of you know, when, when did y'all find it most beneficial to start using aviation as part of an asset for the company? Yeah, so we've always so you know as I mentioned, we uh, my dad and I started flying uh, when I was in high school, and and um, throughout the whole growth of the company, we had airplanes. So we started out with a Cessna P two ten. We had a Cessna P two ten for a while, and probably had that for about thirteen years. So that was roughly ninety to two thousand and three. Uh, went from the P two ten to a Cessna four fourteen. Had that for about three years. Uh, then we got uh, into the turboprops, had uh, MU2s, Mitsubishi MU2s, uh, which I loved. And then um, in 2013, got the Beechcraft Premier uh, 1A that we have now. So all part of a natural evolution. Um, you know, the, um, the P210 was great, but it wasn't very fast and it didn't go very far. Cessna 414, um, almost the same thing. You know, it wasn't all that fast and didn't go very far, but it was a little more comfortable. And then you get into the MU2s where you had something that was 300 knots plus and nice big pressurized cabin and it could actually get up and go places. And, um, you know, I think what happens with airplanes is that you look at it and you go, well, my mission is, you know, just like the next state over. So I don't really need anything significant. But what happens, I think, with airplanes is that as you move up the line of more and more capable airplanes, your mission expands to fit the capability of the airplane. I'll give you an example. With the MU2, we'd go from Indianapolis to Denver to anywhere in Texas. And that was about as far as we'd go. I mean, I'd taken it a few times to Arizona, I'd taken it to the West Coast with rare, you know, rarely, but I had. And um, when we got the Premier, well, the Premier, you can go Indy to Denver and a little bit over two hours and you can go to Denver to anywhere on the West coast and in, you know, two hours or less. So four hours, you're, you're on the West coast. So all of a sudden now we're doing a lot more business on the West coast, you know, it's because it's easier for us to get there. And uh, so I, I think that's an example of what happens with airplanes is that your, your mission expands to, to meet the capability of the airplane. You buy back time. <laughs> You, oh, it is actually, it's, it's a magic carpet and it, right. you know, it's really fun to see how everybody uses their airplane too. So, 
it's fun. You've seen it out there on the on the ramp. You look at and you marvel at all this you know, this big iron that's out there, right? But I mean, that is the that is the iron of of today's uh, economic engine, right? I mean, those are all businesses, you know, like mine and and much more significant businesses that contribute greatly to the economy and. Um, you know, the people who drive around in those or fly around in those airplanes, their, their time is valuable because they're contributing, you know, great additions to, to the economy. And, um, you know, it's just uh, it's just a really cool thing to see. So with with the amount of flying that you started to do, when when did the YouTube, uh, you know, equation pop up? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the first situation with YouTube was uh, flying into Telluride one time in uh, Cessna 414, and uh, my dad was not uh, with me. Uh, he wasn't present at the time, so I wanted to show him what flying into Telluride looked like. So I, um, I posted it on YouTube. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. It was a really crappy video, but uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't for the masses, so to speak. And I uh, started to get some comments on it. I actually kind of enjoyed the process a little bit. So um, when I got the MU2, I started to post a few more videos um, and uh, kind of enjoyed the whole uh, editing part of things and um, kind of enjoyed like reviewing my flight performance, you know, and, and kind of watching that part. And then I think that uh, we, when we bought the Premier, that was probably the biggest turning point because the Premier we bought over, we, uh, we bought it over in Europe. It was in England when we bought it. And uh, my dad and I went over and picked it up and I hired uh, the guys, the previous owner's pilot, and we flew around Europe for a couple of weeks before we brought it back. So that was a really neat experience. So we were, you know, going all over Italy and France and, and uh england and scotland and then we ended up going to iceland and greenland and goose bay you know bringing it back and that was a really cool experience to do with you know your dad who you know i think all of us would be you know probably the, the bucket list item for um us would be to you know for i mean probably you as well would be to bring a bring an airplane across the atlantic right so um doing so with your dad was that much more significant you know as a nod to where all things started right 30 30 plus years ago 40 years ago and uh, so that was a really neat experience so anyway you know that's kind of where the the channel started to get a little more legs and um get a little bit more polish to it to kind of where it is today um you know where i think the goal of it is to uh well uh, it's a variety of goals, really. One is I think that um, a lot of people who are riding around in the back of an airliner are wondering what goes on up front, right? So, um, you know, I think it's an attempt to kind of show what goes on up front. Um, I think it's an attempt to um, help younger guys who are just starting to learn how to fly or are interested in getting the uh, learning how to fly. It's uh, an opportunity for them to kind of see what what the airspace sounds like, what you know, what things um, look like, and what they might expect to hear. And also, you know, I don't know if you've watched all the videos, but I'll I'll leave my mistakes in. So when I completely slaughter a, a radio transmission, you know, I'll I'll leave it in, and just so everybody can see that you know, hey, a guy with six thousand plus hours with you know tons of experience. 
still makes mistakes. So I mean, it's just all part of the whole learning process, right? Absolutely. I mean, I'll be the first to say too, when I was going through my instrument training, uh, there's an endless number of videos that I watched from your channel. Um, Good. Specifically to listen to that, that lingo. Yeah. Is right. Instrument flying, right? And sure. And the mistakes, it, I think that's a really cool aspect because just like, you know, 6,000 hour pilots, Air Force, so on and so forth, you know, we're still human at, at the end of the day. Right. We're still going to make some sort of minor mistake, right? But sure, the, sure. The, 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 um, how the channel is authentic and how yep. it comes across to people, I think that's really what, um, really shines and uh is you know is, is is a great great benefit to the aviation uh, community as a whole so thank you for making oh, it well, thank you <laughs> no, i appreciate you saying that no i appreciate that so and i think that's also you know there's um there's been some stuff like working around thunderstorms and things like that that i'll use as an opportunity to you know kind of I, I don't want to get preachy but um you know i'll say things like you know hey we're not going to fly through this storm right <laughs> it's like Nobody wants to fly through it. I don't want to fly through it. And we're not going to do that. So we're going to go around it. And, and you know, I think that um, it's uh, it's just an opportunity for everybody to see that um, there is um, you can you can be a, a good pilot and a conservative pilot and still make everybody happy. And um, that's ultimately the goal. I, I like all my flights to be boring. <laughs> sure <laughs> right <laughs> I, I noticed on on, uh, on one on one of your videos uh you you had flown into dallas love field and uh you you had met a young fan uh, can, can you talk oh, to yeah. about that oh yeah 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 that was that was aiden so that was pretty funny so um, i had actually met aiden's dad out at the airport and um he was um He's an airline pilot, actually, and a younger guy, and uh, came out. I, he must have heard me on. I think he heard me on a scanner, <laughs> okay. and uh, ended up meeting me at the uh, at the uh, FBO there. Which, by the way, my wife thinks is absolutely hilarious, right? So she, <laughs> you come walking into an FBO and somebody standing there going, "Premier One driver." Yeah, you're all, you know, like okay. <laughs> She's like, "Oh my gosh, are you kidding me?" Um, but uh, yeah, so I met uh, his dad, Will, and then uh, Aiden was, Aiden's a big fan. Uh, obviously, Aiden's, his, being that his dad's a pilot, Aiden's really into aviation as well. So um, yeah, I, and, uh, I think that, um, I can't remember exactly how we did it, but we coordinated it so that Aiden was there, but he didn't know he was there to meet me. That's cool. So he, he was in the lobby, and I pulled up and I guess he was like, oh, that's Premier One driver. <laughs> and then uh, what was really fun for me is that I got out of the airplane and I came walking through the uh, through the doors at the FBO and and Aiden was kind of sitting over there in the corner. And I, I looked at him, I go, Aiden, how you doing? <laughs> you should have seen the look on his face. It was so awesome. He was so excited. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So it's all about uh, it was fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With, so you know, going back with with uh, 
you had mentioned a business that you can't necessarily yeah. choose your customers. Well, same thing with the YouTube channel. You can't choose who comments on your. On well, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the internet, right? So. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, with, with some of, uh, I guess more so of the uh, negative comments that might come yeah. about, you know, tell, tell the listeners what's a good way of just, you know, kind of what we do with business too, just accepting it, moving on from it and, you know, keep keeping going forward. Well, so, you know, and, and I, I haven't been exactly great about it because, um, well, I, I say I haven't been great. But it's, um, it's rare that I'll get into a big exchange with somebody. Um, a lot of times you don't know where the other person's coming from. So their, their, their life may be absolute crap right now. So, um, you know, and I realize you got a guy flying around in a jet, um, you know, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm pretty much an easy target, right? Um, particularly for somebody who's having trouble putting groceries on the table or something like that. So, you know, there's always that element that I try to remember. Um, and I always try to keep my videos really humble. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Jeff, if I made it this far, dude, you could, you could go twice as far as me. You know, I'm not the sharpest guy in the shed. Um, a little bit of luck and a little bit of hard work and, uh, you know, things turned out okay. But, um, yeah, you know, I think there's that component of it that you got to just be cognizant of where some people are coming from. And quite frankly, some of the really ugly ones, I just delete. It's fine. Just delete it. It's not, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know you, you don't know me, you know, whatever. We only have so yeah. much energy in a day to, you know, put towards things like taking care of our business and making yes. sure that there's food on the table for our families. Right. So. Right. 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 And you know what? If you don't like my videos, that's fine. That's fine. No you know, there's plenty of other there's plenty of other good videos out there. And you don't have to like mine. You know, I, I always joke. I'm like, you know, there's no vetting process to put videos on YouTube. Right. Anybody can put a video on YouTube. <laughs> So, you know, the threshold of performance is like really, really low. <laughs> so, Greg, are you, are you planning on uh, making it to any uh, air shows this year? Uh, I, I have not decided yet. You know, I have um, I, I get asked to uh, to go to a lot of them. And quite frankly, from my military days, I went to so darn many air shows um, that I, I'm a little bit air showed out, to be perfectly honest. Um, I did go to uh, I did go to. Uh, EAA a couple of years ago, and uh, for a day that was fun. I went with um, Citation Max and Baron Pilot and uh, Nico and um, a few other guys um, that I'm forgetting right now. But they'll probably be mad at me that I forgot them. But anyways, <laughs> sorry, so much. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, I know. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think right now for me the. The, I, I really like uh, most recently we've done the um, the scholarship fund for uh, that that Zach did for the Blue Seven Scholarship Fund, which is really cool. To um, Zach is uh, one of my uh, very close friends. I call him my inspiration. He's been on a few of my videos, and uh, uh, Zach wants nothing more than to get his pilot's license, and he has uh, cerebral palsy and. Um, is physically um, very challenged. And um, so we're hopeful that someday he'll be able to get his pilot's license. But he's been really um, taken under the wing of many of my fans. So they, 
um, they've had them sign um, some of my P, my P1D merchandise. I'll have I'll get a request for Zach to sign it, wow, <laughs> which I think so is cool. like super cool, right? Yeah. And uh, somebody did a a model of uh, my airplane. Uh, with a little cutaway of the cabin and gave it to Zach as a gift. Somebody um, did a uh, stay level avionics, did a whole flight simulator, G1000 flight simulator and gave it to him. I mean, like 10 grand worth of stuff, just gave to him. And uh, that was pretty cool. And then um, Zach, just to tell you how, how awesome Zach is, uh, he decided to to give back to the aviation community. So he put together the Blue 7 Scholarship Fund to fund Able Flight, which helps people with, um, with disabilities learn how to fly. So, so people who have, uh, are missing limbs can, um, can fly in these airplanes and, and get their pilot's license. So pretty incredible. We've raised uh, over 45,000 bucks, or I should say Zach's raised over $45,000 to, um, to contribute to Able Flight through a lot of my viewers. So for those of you who are out there listening, I want you to know how much we appreciate you getting behind uh, Zach and showing him the love with the Blue 7 Scholarship Fund and, and what you guys have given there. So to me, those are the really satisfying um, things to be involved with and make really, it makes it really easy to overlook, you know, the few negative comments you get when you're able to, to really make, help somebody like Zach make such an impact to the aviation community. I love that. That's, and that's what aviation is all about, right? And that's just, yep. just the community of people is, is, uh, incredible in and of itself. So, uh, yeah, it really is. It really is. So for, I, I should tell you, so for the viewers who don't know that the Zach or the, the blue seven, you can go on to the premier one driver on YouTube and, and see anything that says Zach or blue seven on it. But I call him blue seven because I took Zach for my first, for his first flight in my airplane. Me being an Air Force guy, Zach shows up in a Blue Angels shirt. And I'm like, Zach, you're showing up to fly in my airplane. I'm an Air Force guy and you're wearing a Blue Angels shirt. I'm like, come on, dude. And so from that point on, I called him Blue Seven. So, you know, reference to the Blue Angels, Blue Seven. And he calls me Thunderbird once. So we've got this little fun little banter back and forth. But anyways, it's a Blue Blue Seven scholarship fund. That's why that's why it's named what it is. That's that's almost like uh, you know with with uh, uh, Top Gun and uh, call signs, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for your time today, sir. Um, it's very much appreciative. I know the viewers or the, the listeners are going to get tremendous value out of this. Uh, if if people want to connect with you, um, you know where where can we point them to? Yeah, so you can go to my uh, website, premierondriver.com. And there is a so premier, the number one, not spelled out, driver.com, premier1driver.com. And there's a contact us there and they can contact me right through the, uh, the website there. Awesome. Well, I think that will conclude today's uh, episode. So, sir, any final thoughts or final words? No, Jeff, it's been, it's been great getting to know you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun being on the, uh, on the podcast today. And uh, it's, uh, it is always fun to hang out with a fellow aviator and, and talk aviation, is it not? I, I loved every second of it. So thank you for your time today. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to, you know, may, maybe do an update and see how Blue 7 Scholarship's doing here in, in, in a year or two. Yeah, well, next time we'll get Blue 7 on with us. How about that?
That would be awesome. I would love that. <laughs> Great. Great. All right. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for tuning into the Leaders of Aviation podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.